Matthew 8, verse 1. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that very same hour. Lord Jesus, I pray that today you would become alive to our minds and our hearts. But Lord, more importantly, that you would come alive in us. Lord, that your power that we've read about and heard about and see you do to other people, I pray that that power would come alive in me, Lord, and in my brothers and sisters here. Lord, I pray that your word would come to life in me. The word would become flesh in me and change me forever change my life. Lord Jesus, help my eyes and my mind and my heart to see and understand this centurion and why his faith was different and better to, than everybody else's. In Jesus' name, help us, Lord. Let your word feed us today. Lord, let it be alive to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. So I'm going to talk today about the story after Jesus has come down from the mountain where he's done his sermon on the mount and he heals a leper and then he heals a centurion's servant. And I'd like to compare those two stories to two other stories. A man called Jairus. So if you can keep in your mind the, the leper, imagine the leper coming to Jesus. He's disfigured. He's dirty. He's an outcast. The religious system of Israel tells him he's an outcast. He's not allowed to go to any religious meetings. He's not allowed to be in public. 
He has to shout unclean, unclean wherever he goes. And Jesus comes and touches him and makes him clean. Jesus says, I'm willing and heals him. And this man is overjoyed. Then Jesus heals the centurion servant in the story that we read a moment ago. And I want you to keep those two in your mind and then two other stories. So leper, centurion. The third story is a man called Jairus. And he was a synagogue ruler, which means he was one of the rulers of the Jewish religious system. Jairus, a religious man. He, he was like a pastor. He led the Jewish synagogue. And in Luke 8 verse 41, it says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged about him. And I'm going to jump forward to verse 49. While he was still speaking to a lady who he just healed, somebody came from the synagogue ruler's house and said to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James and John and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for this little girl. But he said, do not weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took the little girl by the hand, and called, saying, little girl, arise. In Matthew, it gives the actual Aramaic or Hebrew words that he said. He said, talita kaum, which means little girl, my little one, get up. Very tender. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. So, leper, dirty, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus touches him with tenderness. I'm willing. Be made whole. Centurion servant comes. Centurion comes, says, my servant's at home, but you don't have to come. Just say the word, and she'll be healed. She gets healed. This little girl, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, comes. He says, my little daughter's dying, and she's actually dead. And Jesus goes to his house and raises her up. And then the last story is Mark chapter 6. It says, He went there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is, not, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So Jesus goes to his own hometown, the people who he grew up with, and they know him. They know his brothers and sisters. They know this little kid. And they say, who's this guy? And they're offended at him. There's an offense in them. And it says in verse 4, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. I want to just look at these four stories today, but I want to focus on the centurion. Because Jesus said, let me just go back to the centurion. The centurion comes to him, and he says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus says, I will come and heal him. And the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, 
having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, this one, come, my servant, do this, and they all obey. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. This is the only time where it says Jesus was amazed. This man's faith amazed Jesus. He was shocked. And listen to what he says. He said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, he only says that a few times. In the, in the King James, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee. It was like he was saying, This is very important, what I'm about to say to you. Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. This little centurion, a Roman man, he's not even a Jew. He doesn't go to the synagogue. He's not a religious man. He's a Roman He's wearing the garb of Rome. He's wearing the, the armor and the cloak and the red hats. And the, he's a soldier. He's one of the oppressors from Rome who's come to oppress the Jewish people. And this man, Jesus says, has more faith than anyone Jesus has ever come across. Friends, today I want to look at this. I want to look at this centurion and I want to try and find out why was he different? What was it about him that... His faith amazed Jesus. I want to have faith that amazes Jesus. And if a centurion can have it, a man who didn't even know the Old Testament, he wasn't brought up in the ways of the Bible or God, but he had something that Jesus said, this is amazing. This guy is the pinnacle of faith. And the story goes on to say, um, then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so it will be done for you. And his servant was healed that very same hour. Who else did Jesus meet who had great faith? Well, there was Mary, his mother, wasn't there? Mary had great faith. Remember, the angels had come to her and said, This is what's going to happen. And she said, Let it be done to me according to your word. She had faith. She believed. Mary had great faith. Joseph... Mary's husband had great faith. The shepherds and the wise men who'd come, they'd seen angels and visions and stars and they knew that Jesus was the Son of God. They had great faith. John the Baptist had great faith. Jesus said, among those born of women, no one is greater than John the Baptist. He was great. They all had great faith. There was a lady called Anna who was an 84-year-old widow, and it says that she'd been night and day in the temple fasting and praying ever since her husband had died, and she'd only, only been married to him for seven years. She was 84. That means she'd probably been in the temple fasting and praying night and day for about 60 years. She had great faith. When Jesus the baby was brought in, she says, this is the Son of God, and she started telling everyone about it. She had great faith. What about Simeon? He was an old prophet. And God had said to him, you will not die until you see the Messiah. And when Jesus was brought into the temple, he said, Oh God, now your servant can depart in peace. For I have seen your salvation. A light to the Gentiles to bring glory to your people Israel. He had great faith. All the disciples, Peter, James, John, all the others, they had great faith. Can you see that there was something special about the centurion. He had greater faith than all of these people. I wonder what you think of as faith. Can I tell you what I have thought in the past and what I know a lot of people think? 
Faith is a very strong belief and conviction and uh, a certainty in my heart. But then what is it in? A lot of people say, well, it's in God. It's in His Word. It's in His goodness. It's in His power that God is good and that He's able to heal. The leper who came to Jesus at the beginning of the story, he says, worships Lord. He falls down and worships Jesus. And he says, Lord, so he knew he was God. He said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He had faith. He had a level of faith. He knew that Jesus was Lord. He wasn't sure if he was willing, but he knew that he was Lord. He had a level of faith. Jesus touched him and healed him. What about Jairus? The synagogue ruler, he had a level of faith. He came to Jesus and said, Lord, will you come to my house and heal my daughter? She's dying. She's 12 years old and she's dying. He had a level of faith. He knew who Jesus was. He understood. He believed in his power. And he came and he called on him. There was a level of faith there. Less so the people in Jesus' hometown. He went to them and they said, oh, I'm not so sure about this guy. And it says that he could do no mighty works there. Not that he didn't want to, but he could do no mighty works there. But then this man, the centurion, imagine him. Where was he born? He was born in Rome, hundreds of kilometers away from Jerusalem. He was a Roman, brought up in the ways of Rome. His whole way of thinking and his whole way of life was Roman. He understood Caesar and the rule of Rome and the way that Romans do things, the way they organize things. And he'd been sent when he got to a certain age and he'd been promoted through the army ranks and he'd been sent out to this place called Israel to go and enforce Roman rule. So he comes there with all his garb on and his big red thing on top of his head, of his hat that says, I am a Roman centurion. I represent Caesar. And I'm here to bring Roman rule and Roman ways to Israel and to make sure that the Israelites do things in the Roman way. And so he comes there and all the time he's thinking, I'm Roman, but I'm living in Israel. I'm trying to enforce the ways of that faraway place in this current place. I've got opposition, but I've got soldiers. I've got a boss who tells me, a commander who tells me what to do. I've got soldiers who I tell what to do. And he's trying to enforce the ways of Rome in Israel. And this Roman centurion had something that all those other people didn't have. What was it? And do you and I have it? If I'm honest, I think many, many of us have a relationship with Jesus. We know God's Word. We're part of the family of God. We believe He's God. We believe He has the power to heal. Some of us even know He is willing and wants to heal. But there's something that we're missing. And what we're missing is what the centurion had. So I'm just going to mention four things that the centurion had that you and I need to have. Are you ready for this? Number one. The centurion understood authority. The centurion understood authority. He comes to Jesus. He says, Lord... I'm a man under authority, and I have soldiers under me. And he actually used the word also. He says, I'm also a man under authority with soldiers under me. 
The first thing that the centurion understood that many other people didn't understand was authority. And I'm going to go into this in a minute. But he could see, just as he imagined, just as he could see his commander and, and his, you know, his authorities above him and his soldiers under him, he could imagine in the spiritual realm Jesus, just like himself, being a commander with authority above him and authority under him and soldiers who would do his will. He could see that Jesus was like him. He could see something that all these other people couldn't see. You and I often come to Jesus and we say, Lord, if you're willing. We're we're crying out to Jesus' compassion. (laughs) We say, oh, Lord, if you just cared. Oh, would you, Lord? Can you? Might you? I hope. And then we scrunch up our faith and we say, I believe you can, Lord. The centurion had none of that. He was a military man. He didn't come with, oh, I hope, Jesus, you're going to be kind to me. He says, I understand authority. It's about having someone above me who's strong and having people under me who must do what I say. He could see into the spiritual realm in a way that all those other people couldn't. They knew Jesus was good. They knew he was God. They knew he was powerful, but they didn't see the spiritual structures the way that the centurion did. Is that important? Yes. It's huge. (laughs) Why am I saying this? Because you and I, we've had the veil pulled back. We've had the curtain open to us so that we can see the authority structures just like that centurion could. He just got it. I don't know how. He was like a prodigy. He was amazing. He just understood the spiritual realm and Jesus' place in it. But you and I have it explained to us in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Authority. Number two, he understood warfare. He understood warfare. Acts 10 verse 38 says, Jesus was anointed by God. He went about doing good and healing all of those who were oppressed by the devil. That tells me that every time Jesus healed someone or did a miracle, or fed someone, or calmed a storm, or raised someone from the dead, or cast out a demon, he was doing warfare against the devil. And the centurion got it. (laughs) He understood warfare. He says, I've got soldiers under me who do what I say. I'm here to impose an order from another realm that's far away in this realm. I'm here to do some warfare and to impose the will of Caesar. And he said, Jesus, you're the same. Wow, Jesus said, this guy's got more faith than my mother Mary, than Anna, than Simeon, than all these other people. Warfare. You know, many of us in the Christian life We don't want to make the devil equal to God. And I understand that. I get that. Please, I understand. We don't want to make the devil equal to... We don't want to say there's God and there's the devil and they're equal and opposite. No, we we don't want that. But we fall into the other extreme, the trap that says you can ignore the devil. God is powerful, therefore we just ignore the devil. And that's not how Jesus operated. He confronted the devil. He rebuked sickness. Just after this, there's this in uh, Matthew, it tells a story of Jesus going into Peter's mother-in-law. She's lying sick with a fever. What would you or I do if we went into someone's house and their mother-in-law was sick with a fever? Oh, dear Mrs. Jones, 
Can I mop your brow? Can I get you some cold water? What can I do for you? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help Mrs. Jones. You know what it says Jesus did? He rebuked the fever. Jesus, that's so wrong. That's so inappropriate. What are you doing rebuking? You know what rebuke means? It means shouting at. It means telling off. Jesus walks in there and there's Mrs. Jones. And our hearts are bleeding and pumping with compassion. Lord, if you're willing, please. Jesus says, fever, what are you doing in here? Get out of there. There was an element of confrontation and war. Can you see why the centurion was different to everybody else? You know, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, he knew the Bible well. He knew the whole of the Old Testament. He was a religious man. He knew Jesus had power. He said, we read it a few moments ago, he said, Jesus, if you come to my house, you can heal my daughter. Centurion said, you don't have to come to my house. You see that? Friends, God's power and his willingness are not the issue. We sometimes think, oh, if God was just willing, I know he's strong, but is he willing? If he was just willing, he'd heal me. If he was just willing, he'd do this miracle in my life. If God was just willing enough, and actually we've seen from these stories that Jesus' willingness and power is never the issue. The issue is, do we see him as he really is? Because he'll meet us wherever we see him. If we're his family members who think of him as just the little boy who used to play in the playground, we'll get nothing. If we're the leper who thinks he might be willing, we'll get what we believe. If we're Jairus and say, if you come to my house, we'll get what we believe. But if we're the centurion who say, you don't even have to come, he says, ah, you've seen the truth. And we'll get what we believe. Isn't that interesting? So he understood authority. He understood war. And friends, you and I need to be warfare people. You know, Jesus is called the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the Prince of Peace. And we think that those three go together because K and K, King of Kings, L and L, Lord of Lords, and P and P, Prince of Peace. But that's not the case. It was written in Hebrew, which doesn't have the, that same, those same letters. He's called the King of Kings because he's above all. He's called the Lord of Lords because he's above all. But he's not called the King of Peace. He's called the Prince of Peace because he's a warfare man. He's not the King of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He's for war. Jehovah is a mighty man of war, the Old Testament says. There's an element where there's a devil who has robbed and stolen and illegally done terrible things to the human race and the planet and the universe. And Jesus says, I'm coming to put him right. And you and I, I had a lecturer at Bible school who said, you need to pray one warfare prayer every day. Not a, oh Jesus, please, would you? I'm doing war against an enemy here. Isn't that interesting? So the centurion, that's what he looked like, by the way, that picture up there. You know that big red thing on his head? That said to everyone, I represent another authority from a faraway land. The centurion came, he had the cape on, the red cape and the red thing on his head, and that said to everyone, this is my authority. Not who I am in my own physical 
appearance, because one man, one little centurion, he's not a particularly strong man. Millions of Israeli people could have overcome him, but it was the red thing on his head that said, I stand for a bigger power in Rome who can come and enforce my will. And I'm enforcing their will. That's what you and I are. So now my third point. The centurion understood the unseen realm. He wasn't just looking at what was seen, the physical. You know, many times we just think about what's physical and what we feel with our five senses. And if brother so-and-so, who's so wonderful, would just lay hands on me, then I'd be healed. Or if I could just go to this place or that place, then I'd find wonderful answers. He understood there's an unseen realm beyond what I can see. And in that unseen realm, Jesus is just like me in the seen realm. He understood. He could see. Somehow he could see. God was like Caesar. Jesus was like the centurion. And the soldiers under him, Jesus was telling demons and other things what to do. And they were just doing whatever he said. He understood the unseen realm. Friends, can I just tell you what you look like in the unseen realm? You. If you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, to the devil, you look like a centurion. You're arrayed in armor. Ephesians 6 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, authorities, and rulers in the heavenly realms. You are clothed with the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, shoes fit with the readiness of the gospel, the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. And you know what that red thing on your head is? the blood of Jesus. The helmet of salvation with the blood of Jesus on it. And when you walk into a room, it's not puny old you that the devil sees. He sees the might of the kingdom of God behind you. He says, this man represents God. Not, I'm not fighting little old him. I'm fighting God. And when he speaks, he's not speaking his words. He's speaking the words of the ruler above him. And therefore I obey. Can you see what the centurion saw that nobody else saw? They saw Jesus as a loving, kind, merciful healer, which he is. But the centurion saw a whole nother level and a whole nother realm. Can I just pull back the curtain a little bit more of the unseen realm for you? Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was a prophet. And he had a vision of the Lord. Listen to this, Isaiah 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So Isaiah was praying or worshiping, and suddenly his eyes were open, and he saw the spiritual realm, and he saw the Lord. And he saw him sitting there on a throne. And it says, Above the throne stood seraphim, which are angelic beings. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Why am I reading you that? Friends, if you and I could see in the spiritual realm, can I tell you what we'd see? We'd see a room set full with people with the armor and the centurion 
power of God on them. And we would see the glory of God filling this place. In fact, filling the whole earth. We would see smoke, thunder, shaking. We would see angels crying out, Holy is the Lord, the whole earth is full of His glory. We would see what is really happening in the spiritual realm around us if we could just see the unseen. You know, many people think faith is positive thinking. It's just scrunching up my belief and saying, I'm sure it's true, I hope it's true, I wish it was true, maybe it's true, it is true. That's not faith. Faith is seeing the unseen realm. Faith is not using these eyes, it's using the eyes of my heart to say, I see that there's more than what I see with my physical eyes. That's faith. That's all it is. It's just saying there's more than this. 1 Kings chapter 6, Elijah is there and the chariots of his enemies are all around him. The soldiers are all around him. And his servant says, oh my master, what are we going to do? And Elijah says, Lord, please just open his eyes. And the servant looks out again and he sees the chariots of God surrounding them. Much more. And they win that battle. That's faith. It's just seeing in the spiritual realm that God's power is here. That's what the centurion did. He saw the physical Jesus. He saw him healing lepers and doing these things. But then he saw, man, this is something more. Authority, warfare, unseen. And the last thing is the power of words. He said, Lord, I don't need you to come. But if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. He understood that words are the way that God's power is transferred from the unseen realm to the physical realm. Words are words. What we say is important. That's why Jesus says pray. That's why he gave us the Bible as the word of God. That's why he says prophesy. He says the weapons of our warfare, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they're mighty for pulling down strongholds. We take every thought captive and make it obedience, obedient to Christ. That's the weapons of our warfare. They're words. We speak to things. When you've got a sore knee, speak to your knee and rebuke that pain. <laughs> rebuke it. Tell it where to go. You know, it's fine. The level of faith that says, oh Lord, please, I know you want to heal. Please heal my knee. That's fine. But there's another level that says I can see an unseen thing and I can use my words to release the power of the Almighty God.